human beings and we'll start with Chelsea. Hey everybody. Uh, happy birthday, Swedenborg. Um, I'm Chelsea Odner and a writer uh, for Off the Left Eye and also host of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast where we talked about Swedenborg's birthday because his birthday is January 29th. That was the day he was born. But when he was 65, the Swedish government adopted the Gregorian calendar. And so his birthday became February 8th. So that's really the more technically correct version of his birthday is February 8th. Uh, but historically, you know, the birth document, his certificate would read January 29th. So we celebrate January 29th and February 8th. And you could hear more about that in the uh, most recent podcast episode. What is it? Swedenborg's elusive birthday and the substance of belonging. Happy to be here. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Chris. I clearly missed the memo with birthday props. Uh, that's okay. I'm the uh, director of digital marketing and I'm pumped to be here. Hello, I'm Karen Childs, community manager. So happy to be here and happy birthday, Swedenborg. Yay! <laughs> and I also want to give a shout out to our visual art director, Matthew Childs, who made this uh, lovely Swedenborg birthday hat for me. Guys, I really missed the memo. I mean, this is really bad. I'll send you one of these hats, Chris. I promise. Nice. I've got, and I've got a Swedish and on either shoulder. So we're good. Okay, you um, stop bragging now. <laughs> so let's get, you may get your questions for us to take live from the audience into the uh, chat feature here. And we'll take them a little later on. Um, if you are familiar with how we play this game, we set up a goal for donations to help us carry on with this work we do. And today our goal is $67. And that comes from the work Divine Providence number 67. Um, our last show was about belonging. And here's what this passage says. The very heart of Providence is that we should be in some particular place in heaven or in some particular place in the divine heavenly person and therefore in the Lord. That's an awesome way to belong. So you can go to otle.com slash donate and see if we can reach that $67 goal and that will buy you an extra 15 minutes of our scintillating questions and, and answers. So uh, let's see, next we're going to Karin who will tell us about the reflection question that we posted last week about belonging. So Karin. Yeah, we posed a question to our audience which was what makes you feel like you belong? And here are a few of the responses that came in and we had to edit some of them down to fit more in, but they're all so wonderful. Here's an example of some of them. Walking in nature, that makes me feel I belong to the earth, God's paradise. We are all strangers in the city, an unnatural environment, full of pollution, noise, all jostling for our place in the scheme of things. And we wonder why our lives are so stressful, but in nature, we are free like God intended. That's where I feel I belong. Nice. Uh, a conversation with like-minded people. Awesome. 
when I'm able to help out. Yes. Knowing that I have something to contribute, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem, if I come from the right place that I have to share, what I have to share will always have the potential to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. When my personal skills and strengths are needed by other people than myself. Yeah, feeling a purpose. Something as simple as a smile. Yeah, that's a big question. For me, it's my home and my husband. Nice. Feeling of belonging, I see as something coming from inside out. And that feeling from inside out for me is the feeling that everything is energy. All what we perceive as living beings or material objects that our soul vibration adds to the universal energy, making it be more light or less light. And that my focus on making it more light is the very act of belonging. Ah, that's cool. Oh, so cool. Belonging feels comfortable and not threatening. Feeling like a belo I belong, there won't be judgments, but acceptance. Thank you. Yes, we need to feel safe. Easy, deep conversation, especially while in a study group that is digging deep into spiritual matters or subjects that challenge my understanding of the natural world, universe, science, or maybe religion. Yeah, digging deep with other people into concepts. Presence in a community with a common worldview, shared values and ideals, but also enough diversity to facilitate innovation. A common mission, mutual agreement around life pillars such as governance, relationships, and education, etc. Frequent shared mundane experiences such as meals, music circles, hobby groups, etc. Hmm. Mutual willingness and ability to give and receive constructive feedback shared commitment to mutual and reciprocal assistance. Overall, a sense that positive experiences outweigh negative ones. Too much to ask for? Not in the heavens. <laughs> That's cool. And we can strive for that on earth too. And here's uh, one that was uh, contrasting what doesn't feel like belonging. I've never been a joiner, meaning I don't identify with any group. I have some dear friends and relatives whom I love and love me, but even as a child, I chose not to become a member of my childhood church. They wanted me to promise things I felt I couldn't agree to. Yeah, you have to feel freely a part of something. When you realize your personal expression is the one angle of God's personality that no one but you can express. That's cool. <laughs> Finally, it brings me peace and much gratitude in my heart to be blessed to live in a place so beautiful and call home. And Ke Akua, God, was the center of our lives. Beautiful. Thank you, everyone. Those are really beautiful expressions of what feels like belonging. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks so much. It's so great to hear from all of you out there to fill out these ideas. Um, and if you'd like to hear what Curtis and Chelsea's response to that question was, you can tune into our last episode of the podcast, Inside Off the Left Eye. Um, and yes, the title of that one being Swedenborg's Elusive Birthday and the Substance of Belonging. So uh, let me repeat that my name is Cara Dom, and I'm usually the Latin consultant for the Off the Left Eye and a member of the community care team. 
And so I'm just giving it a try today, this hosting thing, since Curtis is unavailable. So bear with me while we get through it. <laughs> um, so now to the questions. Okay, let's take our first question. Gabrielle asks, what are demons and what are their purpose? Why would God let them exist if they only have evil purposes? What did God create? Why did God create demons at all? That is an intense one. Christopher, let's yeah, start. Um, so there's a few different parts of this one. I might start with one or two of them and maybe we can carry on from there. Um, so one of the foundational concepts from Swedenborg is that um, in the afterlife, the inhabitants there, both in heaven and hell, they were once human. So if you're going to find demons in hell, you're really, uh, they, were, they were once human beings that made choices throughout their lives that ultimately led them to harmonize with hell, with what hell stands for. And uh, their ultimate purpose as a demon is to materialize what they love the most because that love, that's what drives everything for them. So to live out and actively promote uh, the kind of love that they have, whether that's a selfish love or a materialistic love or love of dominion over others, um, love of power and greed, whatever it is that is their particular niche in the market, that is what they live for. Uh, nice. Thanks, Chris. Chelsea, how about you? Yeah, and that's, uh, and just building on that, um, something, I'm going to see how long I wear this hat for, um, <laughs> the question of why would God let them exist uh, is because God is nothing but love, you know, even, even to a being that has chosen to reject God's love and, you know, force it out. Um, the Lord, uh, is still flowing into the core part of every person, um, with the thing that keeps them alive enough that they, as Swedenborg describes it, have the, have the ability to think and will. Um, and so that, uh, is, you know, that, that's something that God always loves and protects in the person. So even if they've chosen um, to make choices that align the most with hell, that's why hell exists is because the Lord creates a space where people like that can live within sort of the um, restrictions of what, you know, uh, without, without sort of going uh, overreaching, you know, what's not okay. Um, but that way they can live within uh, they have a place and, um, and the Lord still oversees that and actually has some really interesting stuff. Swedenborg writes about, about how the Lord as the divine design, uh, is also keeps order in hell, even though hell by definition rejects the divine design. So how does that sort of relationship work? There's like some really interesting stuff that you can dig into, uh, with what Swedenborg writes about that. Cool. Karen. Yeah, I like the question because I agree. It wouldn't, it doesn't make any sense to me to think that God created demons just to sort of make trouble um, because God is complete love and God creates from love and just creates things to love. And um, so it really makes sense to me what Swedenborg learned that all the inhabitants of the afterlife 
came first were people created on earth, as Chris said. And um, so hell came into existence as humanity started to get uh, too caught up in um, the feeling of selfhood and materialisticness and started to feel better than other people, you know, and so it is just a, it's a state of mind that grew. And then in the afterlife that grew into this um, environment called hell, where people gravitate to if they um, are refusing God's love. And it is actually a, a mercy. It seems so counterintuitive. Uh, hell has been portrayed as like a punishment that God throws people into, but it's actually a mercy because um, Swedenborg witnessed this remarkable thing that if, if people have rejected heavenly love, it's a heavenly love is a very powerful energy in the afterlife. It's this creative energy. It's, it sustains life. It's very um, powerful and feels beautiful to people who um, choose to open up to it and be in alignment with it. But for people who just would uh, wanted to pursue hatred and revenge and dominion over others and things like that. Um, it's actually painful to them. And it, it um, hell is actually a mercy that there's a place for people to be who just have rejected that kind of heavenly love. And it would actually torture them more than, than hell does. And of course, hell is not a happy place because there's people there that want to hurt each other. And yet, like Chelsea was saying, God keeps a kind of order there so that there is, um, uh, you know, a kind of um, contentment that people can find there um, with a lot of restrictions because they're not allowed to attack good and innocent people anymore. Um, so that, yeah, the, the demons are there because uh, they chose a path and the, and God loves each one of them. So God doesn't annihilate any <laughs> of his beloved creations, just continues to um, take care of people, even in hell and try to, uh, bring them in a positive direction somehow, um, even there in hell and to, and to save them from worse things they would do to themselves and others. Um, so there's uh, love even there in hell. <laughs> Thanks, Karn. Yes, great point. Uh, uh, what comes to mind for me is the quote that Swedenborg says, um, well, he talks about how the Lord's highest priority really is our spiritual freedom. Um, and, and that's everything else falls under that. So, and there's a quote that says that the Lord protects our freedom, like he would protect the apple of his eye or the pupil of his eye. And that's how, you know, you know how strong that reflex is when something comes at you. So he wouldn't do anything to uh, take away our freedom to not choose him. And that's why there is this hell for anyone who just doesn't want to choose God. Thank you so much, Gabriel. Um, let's move on to question number two. Robert Martin asks, if heaven looks like a human, what does hell look like if it has a shape? So we've, we talk about the universal human or the traditional language, the grand man. What about hell, Karen? Swedenborg does describe a, a grand monster of hell, um, it kind of reflecting um, any individual demon or person who uh, corrupted themselves and into, a, into hatred and things um, actually 
end up looking pretty monstrous in in hell because um, our appearance in the afterlife reflects our state of heart and mind. And Swedenborg does have some places where he describes the grand monster uh, of hell. I don't know if any of you others can remember any other um, wording for that, but that's what pops to my mind. It's a kind of upside down. Sometimes I've gotten this impression from Swedenborg's descriptions. Of course, um, how things look is all, always has to be some kind of appearance because there's no space and time. So it's representing something. But I, I think I remember Swedenborg talking about seeing uh, heaven as a human being standing upright and then hell as a monster, like with the feet <laughs> going upside down because to be uh, living a life focused on selfishness and hatred is upside down from the way things are supposed to be. So there's some things I remember. Yeah, and I, that brings to mind too that um, he talks about how the hells are a reflection, like an opposite reflection of the heaven. So if we have the the natural heaven, the spiritual heaven, the heavenly heaven, that would just be going down in this in the same way of emphasis on obedience, truth, and love, but the demonic equivalence of those. So that's why that mirror image of the upside down monster, yeah. Uh, Chelsea. Yeah. So I, what's coming to my mind, which is really only related, but right. Like Swedenborg does say, uh, about this one giant monstrosity, which he does, he says, similarly, only the Lord can see the, the full shape of heaven. Um, and similarly, he says, nobody can, could really wrap their mind around the totality of hell, but if we could, it would be in the shape of this giant sort of anti-human monster thing. Um, but just something interesting about how Swedenborg talks about how even just people in hell can appear, like the Lord lets them appear to themselves like in a fully human form. Um, but that is an appearance because uh, if like the light of heaven were to shine in and show the truth of their nature, uh, then he gives a lot of really strange and interesting things about the way uh, evil spirits and demons can look because of how they've rejected what really love and wisdom are. Um, and the fact that, you know, we are made in the image of heaven. So the human form is an image of the marriage of love and wisdom. Um, and so he'll describe, you know, people just sort of missing certain parts or having, you know, just really interesting um ways of appearing that are a reflection of how the particular evil or falsity that they're attached to, what that sort of corresponds to. Um, you know, so he describes people with like a face that's nothing but teeth um, and, and looking really bony because they're lacking the, the flesh and like vitality of, you know, a human being with a circulatory system or something. Um, anyway, so just really interesting stuff. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Great. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Now, if we had a little uh, giving thermometer on the side of our screen, we would have zero. <laughs> there would be no redness rising up to $67. So if you're interested, get your little gift in at otle.com slash donate. We'd be so grateful. And we're about a third of the way through our show. So if we reach that $67 goal, we'll add another 15 minutes. 
All righty, on to the next. LCD8 asks, did Swedenborg ever mention anything about phobias? Phobias, interesting. I bet he didn't use that word, but Karin, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I don't recall that word being used at all, but I can think of words like ob obsessions and fears for sure. And he definitely vividly, Swedenborg vividly saw this world in which there are negative spirits, dark spirits that stir up our feelings in a direction of that, in directions that are harmful, like including fears. Um, and actually in, in the spiritual world, um, sustenance comes from feelings and thoughts. And so of course in, in the heavens and, and, and good spirits, um, they are fed by feelings of love and, and true ideas. But evil spirits actually feed off of negative, um, negative feelings, negative emotions. Uh, we've talked about that with our guest, Jerry Marzinski, a lot in several of our shows where he witnessed that uh, negative spirits are around people who have schizophrenia, but all of us really um, are trying to you know, poke us to get these negative feelings because they feed off of it. And Swedenborg reflected that same concept that he saw that um, negative spirits feed off of negativity, ne negative feelings, negative thoughts. So think about fear as this food they'd be looking for. And so um, negative spirits would be trying to stir up our fears. You know, when we're, when we're in a state of fear, we're putting out a lot of that emotion, which they'd feed off of. And it also uh, hinders our usefulness and our ability to focus on positive things and stuff. So there'd, there'd be kind of a lot in it for the evil spirits to try to get us very afraid of something. And, and yeah, um, fears, uh, carry with them a fixation. I know I, I read of, um, Swedenborg talking about fi fixations, you know, the, how, how we can get caught in fixations and that's also coming from evil spirits. So I can think of words like obsessions, fixations, uh, uh, fears. Um, so it seems related. Nice. Yeah. Complex psychological issue. Chelsea. Yeah. Um, I, what's coming to my mind is like, uh, the sort of like Swedenborg does talk about, right. Fear and really that, uh, fear is part of also carrying on this idea of hell. It's sort of like, the default mode, if, if uh, you know, we all have inherent in us this ability to fear um, and that that can ultimately be used as a way to, you know, for us to behave appropriately because if we're afraid of being, you know, caught or something. So he describes that as being part of the functionality of how the Lord can keep um, order in hell. But, um, but that idea of fear and interesting, like our, the subject of this show being belonging, because, um, you know, we've talked before about how the Bible is so full of all of these fear not um, declarations, like that we, that the Lord has, a, there's a, a way of being, or, you know, a source we can connect to that um, makes it so we have nothing to fear. Um, and so I, I, it's interesting to think about how fear comes from this sense of being separate from not having belonging. Like if we really connected with just 
the truth of the Lord's presence and the power of divine providence and everything, then we would have uh, nothing to fear. But our sense of self inherently lives in this world where things we appear to have separateness. We appear to be separate from God, to be separate from other people, to be separate from the created world that we live in, you know, that I'm separate from the beings outside of me so they could hurt me um, uh, or separate from the order of the way the world works. So something could happen that would be bad for me. Um, and uh, so interesting that that those that like baseline of fear can be changed when you start to ground yourself in the truth of our really belonging, you know, and these principles of truth about the Lord um, and, uh, you know, the nature of, of the divine design and how that's active in life even now. So, um, so again, this is one of those reflections that's coming from what Swedenborg says, but it's not like directly about phobias, but uh, I, so I guess the way it does connect for me is that sort of the experience of phobias when people are working on they know they have a fear and it might be an irrational fear, but it's just there in their life. It's like, that's just a natural result of our experience of having this self that inherently is going to think of itself as separate, that it needs to be protected, that it needs to, you know, that it's unsafe. Um, and, and so that's sort of what we're always working with our higher inner self, learning the truth about things and being able to kind of cradle along and help that lower outer self that, that is never quite gets that higher perspective. <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor everybody always <laughs> juggling these two parts. The funny thing about phobias for me is like, Chelsea, you just mentioned the irrational thing. Like I've got a total phobia of mice. I am much bigger than any mouse I've met. My <laughs> husband has a total phobia of snakes, which I don't have. Like it doesn't make any sense why somebody has this phobia and why somebody has that phobia. Um, I don't know. It's a really interesting question. But and, and when I'm faced with a mouse, I do not go into thinking that the Lord loves me and I belong in this. <laughs> hey, maybe try it sometime. Try it. That's right. Next time. Next time I'll try it. Um, well, good news, everybody. We've gotten the ball rolling. Uh, Stephanie has contributed $25 and Jason also gave. So now our total is $75. Wow. Our goal. Wow. There we go. So uh, let's see if, how far past our goal we can get. Thank you so much. No donation is too small. We really depend on our viewers supporting us who care about what we're doing. Um, and they tell us that we're doing important work. So thank you so much for those donations. Um, Chris, did you have anything about phobias? Nope, I think everyone had okay. insights. Covered it. covered it, okay, great. We're on to the next. Uh, the Cube, hello, The Cube asks, would Swedenborg believe in the Big Bang theory? And what would he say that from eternity entails? Hmm. What would he say that entails from eternity? Okay. Uh, Karen. Well, um, 
one place to start is definitely Swedenborg is um, says something different than creationism because he definitely was, uh, you know, saying in his time that uh, the Bible is not um, in in the beginning of Genesis giving a physical uh, a description of the physical creation of the universe that that is a symbolic parable about the recreation of our minds, and so um, he definitely saw creation as happening in a, in a bigger way. And it's interesting. If you look up our show, um, let's see, uh, God used a specific design to create heaven. And then the one called, uh, uh, there is a pattern. Oh, <laughs> has the word pattern in it. The pattern of God is written into the universe. Um, we explore Swedenborg doesn't have a, you know, a, a, a very a clear description of how physical creation happens, but he has some fascinating things to say that kind of um, start to give you a different idea, or or an idea that I think can very much go along with the the Big Bang kind of thing, where something started and spread out. But what he describes is that um, creation started in the spiritual world on the spiritual level, and that the first thing that was created was the spiritual sun. So taking from this, uh, this underlying reality of God, which is incomprehensible to any finite being, any created being, um, the first thing that was created was something that could be perceived by someone who is not God. <laughs> so, and that was the spiritual sun, which is this, uh, it's really the aura of God's, uh, the aura of God, which is God's love and wisdom flowing out and starting to create. And then God created these atmospheres that could receive that. And they were spiritual atmospheres at first that created these um, levels uh, that would become the heavens. Uh, you could think of them as vibrations or, you know, different, different atmospheres, spiritual atmospheres. And then from that um, layers kept being created that were more and more dense until they got to a level that was becoming physical. And so it, that's fascinating to me that that's, the uh, the order, the pattern that came from the unknowable divine substance of God, creating substances that could be perceived and then on lower and lower levels until we got to the physical, which is um, uh, the grounding, um, the grounding layer that acts like a, a membrane around it all. Um, not don't think spatially in there, but just like a, a foundational thing, um, like the shell of a seed within which there's expansiveness, uh, because actually <laughs> the spiritual is more expansive than the physical. Um, so it, it just seems to me, um, certainly could have, have happened into the physical level, something like the big bang. Um, it, that seems possible to me there. There's, I don't know of anything, um, Swedenborg specifically said that would tell us a, a straight yes or no about that, but something, <laughs> something, um, happened that brought the spiritual down into uh, a solid, um, more dense layer that then, then went from there. <laughs> Great. Fascinating. Uh, Chelsea, you've got something to add? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, about it or thought that was coming to mind from hearing Karin going through those ideas is that uh, one thing Swedenborg says is that the creator or the process of creation is creating and then sustaining what has been created. Um, and those two 
energies are always at work um, or, and they're so connected, interconnected with each other. Um, and, and so in terms of the big bang theory, or even like, I don't know, I don't keep up. I don't know what the latest research is um, and that sort of stuff. But uh, this idea that we're in this ever expanding universe, or is it someday going to collapse on itself or are there multiple universes or whatever? Um, at least from the perspective of sort of eternity is this principle that um, everything in the created universe exists from the spiritual world, like Karin was saying, and need, and but the spiritual world needs the physical world to be this constant interplay, you know, to have this, to be the world. <laughs> and, uh, but the, you know, just like what Swedenborg says about life on other planets, like that there's life in the universe that is happening that is not just our planet or even our solar system or anything that that's, um, you know, cycles happen and that's, that's happening on planets and galaxies and whatever. But if our whole universe is part of a cycle and there's other universes, you know, it just could be, uh, sort of the principle that lines up for me, um, is just that this material world, the created universe is, and it serves an essential function. And that's always going to be there, uh, no matter what, e even if there's cycles going on that are just way bigger, you know, way bigger time scales than any of us are going to be aware of. Um, but the Lord's taken care of it. So. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, Karin wants to add something else. And then Chris has something. Yeah. I just want to, you, you're making me think something you said, uh, makes me think of also Swedenborg said the, um, a creation is always still going on. Like a creation is happening constantly as well as it began at some point. And if oh, you look yeah. the way things work in, in physical creation, recreation, um, things start out small and then they expand, you know, whether it's a, a baby or a plant or, and so it makes sense to me of something starting and expanding, but like Chelsea was saying, that can be cycling through different things. It doesn't mean everything in the physical is going to be there forever, but it might end its time and a different something comes up, but that just is interesting to me, that expansion. <laughs> nice. Yes. Expansion. Christopher. Oh, uh, yes. Um, so uh, the latter part of uh, the cubes question, uh, what would he say that from eternity entails? Um, struck me because I was literally reading Heaven and Hell today. That's one of Swedenborg's works. And the last passage I left off on was about eternity. Um, and the like spark notes version in one sentence would be that uh, in this passage here on earth, we have a concept that um, eternity includes time uh, while angels have one without time. And so I thought that this is kind of an interesting spin because now I'm kind of presenting it from uh, an angelic perspective, but I'll read you, this is a short passage, but I'll read it to you. Um, Since angels have no notion of time, they have a different concept of eternity than we earthly people do. By eternity, angels perceive an, inf uh, an infinite state, not an infinite time. I was thinking about eternity once, so this is Swedenborg here, and using a concept of time, I could not grasp what to, and to eternity entailed. As my anxiety mounted because of this, 
I raised into the sphere of heaven and therefore into the perception of eternity shared by angels. This shed light for me on the fact that we ought not to think about eternity in temporal terms, but in terms of state, and that when we do, we can grasp from what eternity entails, which was actually done for me. Mm. So, FWIW. That's great. <laughs> wow, we have to think beyond time and space limitations. <laughs> yeah, which is so hard for us mere mortals to do. But thank you, those are fascinating thoughts. Thanks for that question, The Cube. Um, and hooray, hooray, we've gotten donations from Randy and John and Randy, and now we're up to $135, <laughs> double what we asked for. So yeah, happy birthday, Swedenborg. <laughs> yes, in honor of Swedenborg's birthday, we're going strong. Thank you so much to all our viewers who have given. And let's see, let's move on to the next question. Joe Cool asks, I've been reading the work of Christian pacifists lately who often cite Jesus's words, do not resist an evil person as a proof text. What's the Swedenborgian take on this teaching, on this teaching and self-defense? Ooh, I seem to remember hearing Jonathan discuss this very thing somewhere along the way. Karin? Yeah, we did a show. It was a Jonathan and Curtis show called um, something like, what does it mean to turn the other cheek? Which is the same, uh, I think that's in the same passage, uh, resist an evil person. And in it, Swedenborg was pointing out it, you know, it just can't make sense that this means just let someone attack you and beat you up. But it just, you know, he was just appealing to common sense in that. Um, but I also um, respect Christian pacifists who are trying to, you know, trying to find what does this mean? Um, because there is something to it. And but it it has to make sense too, right? It, it, it can't be just um, let your let evil just do anything it wants. Um, and what I understood from what Swedenborg was saying when he discusses these passages is it really means um, don't um, respond to evil with evil. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, because we can have a knee jerk reaction if someone attacks us, we attack them back with the same kind of hostility. Or we, yeah, someone punches you, you punch them back. Someone, uh, cuts you down with words, you cut them down with words and things like that. And Jesus was saying, don't do that. <laughs> and, and it has to do also with um, warnings against getting into a, a, a state of vengefulness, revenge, because that is a, a trap, a hellish trap. So if somebody does something bad to you and you, you feel revenge and you want to get revenge, um, that's something angels know. They have to watch out for that. They have, that's a trap that will pull you down into a hellish state of mind. And so it is not saying don't defend yourself from attack. It's saying, think about how, how you are dealing with that attack or with somebody who is um, attacking because there is greater power and effectiveness in coming at um, a, an evil attack from love and integrity and truth. And it, it, that can take the form of like, stopping someone physically, even having them arrested or, you know, some, some way of stopping 
the attack and yet the intent behind it is not revenge, but to get things back into order, both for potential victims, but also for the perpetrator, because the perpetrator is actually hurting themselves the most. If, if someone chooses to harm somebody else, they're really um, connecting with hell and it's a very bad situation. So to respond to an attack um, is important <laughs> for all involved. And so that's what I remember it having to do with is don't respond to evil with evil. Don't respond to um, anger with anger. Um, it can even look similar on the outside, but um, work to have your intent open to what would the Lord want in this situation to bring things into order for the benefit of everyone. Wow, that's po so powerful and so confrontive for a human who's being a, who's being attacked. I mean, just those emotions are so strong. Chris, do you have something? Yeah. Um, so uh, did a little digging in, in uh, Secrets of Heaven, uh, another one of Swedenborg's works. Um, he says that uh, the reason why evil ought not to be resisted is that evil does no harm to those who are in truth and good, for they are protected by the Lord. Mm. So kind of if you were to turn that in a different angle, it'd be that kind of the deeper meaning uh, would be that if you're someone that is letting heaven in and living a loving and useful life, um, harm cannot, there cannot be harm to that deeper part of yourself, the part that's aligned with heaven. Um, you might experience bodily harm if someone's going to punch you in the face, but uh, who you are deep down, no one can remove that from you. Mm. That just makes me think of our conversation about fear and phobias because it's like, it's so easy to want to resist the possibility of evil. You know, like that's why we get afraid. You know, I don't want, how can I protect against, you know, some, some harm happening, but you can go so far, you can get so caught up in anxiety trying to resist evil as in resisting an evil attack on yourself, not like within your own personal life and how you behave, but like uh, resist the possibility of harm happening. And, uh, but that's like, that's like, uh, you know, sweet Jesus's words of like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, you know, where it's like, if you're, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you know, like have that heavenly um, intention and direction, then then there's such a sense of peace in that. Like you're okay. And even if bad things happen, you're, you don't, you, you don't have to resist them. Like you're saying, Chris, I think that's so great. It's just like, yep, this is happening, but I can trust uh, in the Lord's providence anyway. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I just want to throw something else in here too. Um, this is kind of an intense little story, but uh, definitely illustrates this. Um, we had uh, Eva Kaur, uh, her story in one of our episodes, <clears throat> uh, Rediscovering Forgiveness. And I remember, uh, so she was a Holocaust survivor, forgave the Nazis, uh, and, and through that forgiveness found like this like unshakable peace and trust in like her, her divine mm -hmm. maker. And um, I was driving her home from the airport one time and we were just talking and she, uh, she said that, you know, the Nazis, they, they took, a, they took from her, her family, they, they murdered, you know, everyone that she loved basically. And 
And yet they couldn't take away her forgiveness. You know, her, the power that she had to find peace within herself by um, relinquishing the, the hatred that she felt towards them, they could never take away that. Um, and that kind of, go, this kind of illustrates the point we're talking about when you've cultivated truth and goodness within yourself, um, you know, no, no one can take that from you. Yeah, add to that, uh, encouraging people to go watch that episode called uh, Rediscovering Forgiveness because there's a, a lot we discuss in there about um, forgiveness doesn't mean you don't do anything practical to uh, hold people accountable if that's appropriate or stop harmful action, but it's, it's all about the inner attitude and it's all about thinking eternally rather than temporally because with Eva there in the earthly sense, people could take away her family, but she will be back with them and you know, everything that's spiritual and eternal and lasting evil cannot take away from you. And so um, what you can do is believe in that and, and yeah, whatever you do in situations that need uh, addressing that, uh, that are out of order, um, where you're coming from, a, a state of forgiveness can, can be inside you. And like Chris is saying, that will give you a protection that is, um, very powerful and real. Yeah, thank you. I just finished last night reading a book about World War II in France and you know, the conclusion about being they they couldn't get they could get my body, but they could not get my spirit. And that is hard to imagine if you haven't been pressed to that extent. Thank you so much for that discussion, everybody. Uh, we're, we still got about half an hour to go, so we'll continue to take questions. All of your donations are going to continue to help this work happen. And monthly donations are a really useful way to help um, give just incrementally through the year to keep helping us do what we do. So thanks so much for everyone who's given and will give. Uh, next question is from John and Mieko Bishop. They ask, were the earliest versions of humans endowed with a divine spirit or was their intervention missing link when God decided to dwell inside his children and share love with them completely? That's a big question, <laughs> Karen. Yeah, this is, this is a very fascinating question. And I, what I'm understanding is like, was there a um, evolution from uh, animals into humans? And um, it's very interesting because Swedenborg definitely describes um, humans and animals as having, being different kinds of being beings and having different roles in creation. And humans are specifically, um, able to have a conscious awareness of the creator and therefore link um, heaven and earth in a unique way. And that's just our role. Um, but was there a missing link or was there an evolution? Because Swedenborg does just mention a couple of times this intriguing um, idea of the pre-Adamites, which um, were human. They, you know, he says so little about it, but what he does say sounds like um, and he's met them in the afterlife. Um, 
humans, but they were very um, simple in their, in their minds, almost, you know, like innocent kind of simple, um, not thinking deeply. And um, there's also something just, uh, I think it was about the, um, in the creation of human beings. So there's the creation story that ends up with um, uh, male and female. He created them. That's the seven days of creation story. And then it goes into another chapter where it's talking about um, creating man or humanity out of the dust of the ground. And I remember Swedenborg saying something fascinating, just a little bit about um, taking, that meant taking um, very natural level humanity and endowing, you know, giving us spiritualness into the minds or something. I have to look it up again, but it was just very intriguing. That made me wonder if this is something to do with the, the pre-Adamites, like um, taking, a, you know, very earthly mind and creating it into something that could become spiritual. So I don't know, but it, it it's just a very fascinating um thing to think about, like, was there a transition? And, and um, does this, you know, this theory of evolution, is there s something to this, that there was a, a gradualness that led to um, humans becoming uh, able to become the kinds of beings that could be conscious of the creator? Was there a, was there a progression of that? I don't know for sure, but that's the little bit that I remember Swedenborg talking about. That's great. We don't always have answers, but it sure is fun to talk about. Chelsea, did you have yeah, something? I guess like it, it's definitely something I've wondered about too, because even just in our humanness, you know, I mean, we've, there's more that's been learned about Neanderthals and human evolution, different human or pre-human species and stuff. And so when did, if there's been this gradual process, when did it when did in our line we become these uh, conscious beings that have the have the qualities that Swedenborg describes humans have that differentiates them from other um, animal animal species as far as our you know our language our rationality our free free choice um, in spiritual matters and and I, I mean he also talks about how there's you know he he visited spirits who came from other planets and describes these are humans that must have evolved, you know, and um, live on other planets at some time in the universe's history. And, um, and he'll describe that they look human, but they don't look like humans like we're familiar with necessarily on our planet. Sometimes he says they walk on all fours, uh, that they have, they have different shaped skulls, um, different things like that. And then, you know, I watched that documentary about my friend or my teacher, the my octopus teacher, um, I think it's called an octopus, octopi, whatever. They, that, I don't know, witnessing that octopus, that seemed like an entirely conscious being. I just can't speak the language, you know, but like to have that kind of, and there's plenty of creatures in the world who have that kind of consciousness that you really think, there's a consciousness going on here that, you know, I'm willing to be sort of like humble enough that there's probably way more that than I don't even know about the species that we're sharing on this planet. Um, even even keeping, you know, knowing what Swedenborg says about like, well, what would that, you know, do 
<laughs> does an octopus have spiritual freedom? You know, I don't know. Is it a is it a human being in a different form? I don't know. These are questions we can ask in the spiritual world, or maybe we'll get to the point where we're having, uh, you know, discoveries happening in on, on our planet in this world, but uh, such an interesting topic. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I'm, I'm thinking of where Swedenborg says that the wisdom in angels is that they acknowledge that they that what they know is nothing compared to what they don't know. So here's one of those places we sure don't know, but it's fascinating to contemplate. <laughs> All right. Great. All right. And I just want to say, because I forgot to announce again, I just want to say again, if you'd like to donate, you go to otle.com slash donate. Alrighty, now we're up to question number seven. Peg B asks, does prayer really work? I feel like I've recently had some prayers answered. That's lovely. Prayer seems to have some kind of spiritual power. Chris? Uh, I think definitely. Um, and there's, there's a few different angles to look at this. One would be that prayer invites within us the conditions that open us up to God. So it invites conditions like humility and dependence on him and trust in him. And those conditions, the Lord can use those to grow closer with us. And so that, that union um, prayer, prayer invites those conditions for that union. Um, and I think there's something really powerful about intent you know, if you intend something, especially something good, uh, something true, uh, something loving, mm. that intention is is powerful. And I'll read you one more passage. Sorry, I'm like on this like thing today of like reading passages, but like here's a heaven and hell small passage. Intending well is the essence of spiritual life and behaving well is the essence of moral and civic life. If these are separated from each other, Spiritual life consists solely of thinking and talking and the intent ebbs away because it has no support yet intent is our actual spiritual substance. So it is like this tangible thing. And if you have a, like an intention in prayer that connects you to God and connects you to others and invites goodness, uh, I can't not believe that that, that wouldn't be powerful. Mm. Beautiful, Chris. Thanks for thanks for grabbing that passage, Karen. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, and I like Chris how you're talking about um, yes, prayer works, and you're emphasizing connection, connection with the Lord and with others. And I I think it's important to think of prayer not as the purpose is just to make something happen, like some temporal world <laughs> thing that you want to happen. Um, because the, the, the purpose and what always is working is connecting you with God. Um, and, um, you, I, I believe you certainly can go ahead and ask the Lord for whatever you want. Um, because I think just talking to the Lord is a good thing. Um, but I think for myself, it's always good for me to, you know, like I'm, I'm praying, just telling the Lord, I really wish for something to happen, but then always give it over. Like, but, but your will be done as Jesus said in the, Garden of Gethsemane, um, just to acknowledge that uh, 
the Lord knows what will be best in every situation and trust that the Lord is working on it. <laughs> and it might not go the way I thought would be the best way to go, but it, it is going, you know, the Lord is always guiding things to go in, in the best way uh, for the eternal story. And I I've liked, I've heard in the past, um, uh, uh, there's God can be given three different answers for pr- when you ask something in prayer. Yes, no, or not yet. <laughs> and I, and I would add, um, or it just would be yes, but it's going to be in a totally different way <laughs> than you, than you ever could have pictured. And so I think um, prayer is always working. And yes, sometimes that'll turn out to be like something you asked for. It it does happen in a way that you recognize because that that was just okay in the grand scheme and that that worked out right then. And then other times you might earnestly pray for something and it doesn't happen and you think, oh, God wasn't listening. But, but God is always listening, always caring, but also God knows how things will go the best in our eternal story, um, both individually and collectively. So think of it as connecting and hold the outcomes or the particular things you're asking for lightly. Maybe they'll come, maybe they won't, but it's, it's all being watched over. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. I um, You're reminding me of a, something that I definitely picked up you know, I've lived my whole life being raised in a Swedenborgian perspective. And one of the ideas that is like coming to mind right now that I think got put planted when I was a little kid was this idea that the Lord knows more about you than you know about yourself. So that when you're praying, the Lord already knows what you're praying for and knows even more about your intentions that are bringing you to pray about that, you know, so, so praying it's such a beautiful thing because it's really just us reciprocating, turning, turning to the Lord, you know, like uh, uh, the Lord often it's in the, the prophets. There's this beautiful remark where he always says like, where were you? I've been waking up early to give you, you know, knowledge every day. And, and you've always turned away from me like that. Like the Lord is always present, wanting to feed us and give us insight. And it's just up to us to turn towards the Lord, to, to open that communication. Um, and, um, but so that idea that the Lord already knows what we're even anticipating praying for (laughs) later and is already working for our best intention, you know, for the best outcome, um, that can possibly happen. So that, you know, that experience of having your prayers answered to me, the essence of that is realizing, Oh, like, the Lord has this and is holding everything in a way that is just even beyond my comprehension. And that recognition is like, that is a prayer being answered, you know, like actually the Lord was prepared for this before I even had the thought to need to pray for it. Um, and so sort of being, you know, held is, is so powerful. And one thing that sort of playing off with Chris quoting Swedenborg, I was just reading in a, divine providence the other day where this is one of those ideas that just like hits me. Um, Swedenborg writes, this is number 28. Um, uh, So it seems to angels that their perceptions and thoughts are their own, even though they arise from desires that come from the Lord. So really are, you know, our desires, even though that can get all tricky, because it's like, oh, am I 
my self-interest and that kind of stuff. But like, ultimately our desires come from the Lord. And then, and that's a deeper place than even our perceptions and thoughts. So just also that sense that the Lord is working behind the scenes uh, in your life in, in ways that you could feel so excited about. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That, that is deep. Thanks, Jill. And like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, your will be done. Um, the one that I go to in my mind is when Mary, when she finds out that she's going to give birth to Jesus, she says, be it unto me according to your word. And that's a that's sort of the attitude that I like to hold in mind when I'm sending up a prayer about this or that. Thank you so much for that question, Peg B. And uh, I'm happy to say that Hope has made a contribution along with the message, happy birthday, Swedenborg. (laughs) And and we're now up to $185. So thank you, everybody. That's fabulous. Let's go on to question number eight. And we're entering our 15 minutes. Our bonus round. Thank you. Yes, we are in the bonus round. One one minute into the bonus round. So we get to take a few more. Uh, Blue Red asks, how do humans have free will? How do humans have free will? And that, that, the first thing that I think of is you got to be careful about what level you're talking about. Um, there's the, there's the earthly level and there's the spiritual level. Karen. Yeah. I would start out by saying humans have free will because no matter what happens to us externally, we can choose how to respond and we don't, we can't, um, control in on earth what happens to us externally most of the time, sometimes we can, but we can always choose how to respond to it, either, um, you know, physically respond or just in our thoughts and feelings. That is a, something that nobody can take away from us. Um, We can even choose our, our whole life to believe, you know, God, we've just been talking about God is always working in our lives, always, always, but we can totally choose whether to believe that or not, even though God is always working every moment in our lives. Um, so we can choose to respond to everything. We can choose what to believe or not to believe. And in our show, um, life isn't fair or is it that we did a while ago? Um, people, you know, will often observe life seems easier for some than others in this earthly life. Um, but that is all taken account into account in the eternal story because nobody is, there's no comparisons like, well, this person did all these bad things because they, that's what they were conditioned to do by their environment. That doesn't matter. It, it just is like a de- dependent that'll get cleared up in the next life. Like everybody will, will, um, be given anything that they were deprived of in this world. But meanwhile, in this world, um, everybody has the ability to respond as best they know how, like whatever their current um, beliefs, whatever their uh, conscience is based on, even if it's not something very accurate or they've been taught some very false things, um, just just the response to choose how to respond to anything um, that is where we have our free will. So that's where I start the conversation from. Nice. Thanks. Chelsea. 
Well, yeah, I guess uh, I'm, I'm a little stumped. I like that uh, what Karen was saying about our free choice or like that, the ability to choose how to respond, that's enormous and huge. Um, and, uh, but I, this question, I'm wondering if the person asking it, if it's connected to our conversation about human evolution and like, so how did humans come to have free will? Um, that's really interesting. I don't know. Um, uh, well, I guess it's interesting. Um, Swedenborg talks about the people that were, that corresponded to, and let me know if I'm getting this wrong, like the time in, of Adam and Eve, or he talks about the, the golden age, this time when humans, their will and their understanding were united to each other, but they were hooked up to the, to the divine, you know, sort of in the ideal state of having that connection and not having turned away from God. But then when they started to turn away from the divine, the Lord needed to um, uh, provide that there was this way that is, that Swedenborg describes as what corresponded to the flood and then Noah, um, that um, there was this separation between the will and the understanding that was crucial so that we wouldn't have our will, which had become full of uh, evil tendencies, that we needed that to be separate so it wouldn't just take over our understanding and, and determine, we wouldn't be a slave to our love for evil. Um, and so that, that freedom that we have, like our, to be able to lift our understanding above our will and be able to observe our feelings and what we're being um, have desires for, and then be able to um, differentiate our desires. Um, Jonathan even talked about how that's what corresponds to the ark. This was in one of the podcasts, um, Noah's ark, that having all those animals and every kind and the clean and the unclean, they all were invited on the ark because they all signified different desires that we might have, but knowing how they all get along and how they have to be ordered and who's, who's what's clean, what's unclean. But um, anyway, so that's, that's sort of the era that we're in now is this ability to have our understanding be separate from our will. Um, but still the people that had it combined, those were human too. So I'm just like, or what, you know, I don't know, but is that sort of that, that thread that maybe goes back to a time before there were humans was just this totally because because Swedenborg describes how um animals they can't choose not to be um to live by their instincts you know like they just are instinct driven and so it's just a a default they don't have this thought that that exists apart from their understanding um you know we sometimes might joke about uh you know um I don't know, squirrels, squirrels talking about like, what is the nature of life or, you know, the, any, any kind of sort of philosophical conversation that a human might have. Um, but I don't, I'm so curious, like Karin, what do you think, what do you think about that idea uh, that I'm trying to get at here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, I mean, my, my understanding is it is that um, there was always, free will in the sense that 
even in the very beginning when people's will and understanding was aligned, God wasn't restricting anything. Um, they just were so connected to wanting to love like the Lord loves that they wouldn't ever want to choose anything. And when um, the selfhood, uh, but people wanted to feel a sense of self and God granted that. And then that started to lead to this feeling of separateness and maybe I want to be better than you and competitions and things. And yeah, I totally agree that when that started um, dragging people <laughs> away from this God's love, we had to have this ability to separate in our mind to have, and, and that is what maintained our free will. I think like you're uh, indicating with the animals when, when the understanding and will were so united in the earliest humanity um, when they were in a good will that was just like making in to be kind, it was instinctive. But then as the will was starting to fall, it was becoming more and more instinctive to just kill your neighbor, you know, just do horrible things. And so God to maintain free will, to maintain that there would be a choice to go back towards goodness separated the human mind into will and understanding and that understanding could think beyond just the instinctive will and make different choices. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. <laughs> it was an action to maintain our free will and that's so important to God. Yeah, man, another very complex issue. Just it's free will in spiritual matters, not in things of the world <laughs> or things that go against you know, the laws of the universe or uh, things like that. The laws of civil civility. That's right. We, we do have the, the great show Spiritual Freedom that you can find on our channel that goes into that concept of what does it really mean to be free? You know, which I think you're getting at, Cara. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good to make that distinction. Um, okay. So we only have a few more minutes. Let's do a lightning round on this one. Mysterious 1111 asks, the Bible says, let us make man in our image. This is plural. Why do Christians think there is only one God? And I know Swedenborg does address this. Uh, Karen, Karen's going to remember. Yeah, I was just recently reading about this because someone asked about it. Um, it's to, to answer that, it's, it, it requires understanding that, um, that creation story in the beginning of Genesis as a divine allegory about the recreation of our minds. And um, the name that gets trans, the Hebrew name that gets translated God in the Old Testament is um, always or mostly always the, the name Elohim, which is plural because Swedenborg learned that that name for God is being used when it is talking about God working through the heavens, through the angels, like God, God works, uh, you know, uses all of us to, to help each one another and uses the angels to, to bring his uh, love and, and will to, to others. And so when God is, when it's specifically talking about God working through the heavens and through the angels, the name Elohim is used, which is plural. And so it would, the pronouns would need to be plural too. And the creation story is actually, it, it, it can't be solved if you think of that as a, a story about the physical creation of the world, because then you say, well, where he must have created angels differently, you know, separately from humans and all this. But if you understand, oh, it's an allegory about the recreation of our minds, creating our earthly mind into a spiritual mind, the angels help with that. And so um, this is about um, let's 
you know, to let's work together, heaven and angels, to bring humanity into a state like heaven, like angels. Um, Swedenborg had a, a detail in there that it it had to say us because we humans can never become exactly like God. That that's beyond us, but we can become like angels. So in our image had to do with that, that, you know, like that's the level God can uh, recreate us into. <laughs> so there's what wow. I wonderful, wonderful. That's, that's great. Thank you, Karen. Let's uh, in an effort to get one more in Chelsea wants to answer this question from young at heart. <laughs> young at heart asks if we need to exist in the physical world before entering the spiritual world, how does this work with people from planets, which do not support physical life? Okay. Well, I don't have the entire answer here, but I saw it saw the question and was thinking that the simplest answer is, um, I mean, it brings into question what does Swedenborg mean when he talks about planets from Jupiter or Mars and everything. But um, the principle is that at one point they did support physical life or could have or something. Um, and so was Swedenborg actually talking to uh, spirits from habitable Earth-like planets in the universe? Um, and uh, but to his mind, you know, he was, I don't know, you know, only had that association with planets in our solar system. Um, or, you know, I have no idea. I don't know enough about uh, astronomy and how planets develop to know whether there would be any likelihood of there being, you know, planets being habitable or habitable to life, but I don't know. So anyway, but the idea being, even in those cases, they had some kind of a physical existence before a spiritual one. But yeah, Karin could maybe add some details. I'm, I'm one who loves to click on these uh, articles about outer space and stuff. And I definitely notice more and more articles acknowledging that we're being too limited to think life can just exist in conditions like we have on earth. Like there could be creatures that, that uh, breathe other kinds of substances than oxygen and can live in different kinds of oceans than than water oceans, you know, maybe in methane oceans. So I think that um, it's not hard for me when I think more expansively, like life can exist in very different conditions um, than earth, uh, ex expand that and it's still in the physical realm. And even when you think about the possibility of different vibrations, even in this physical level, like there's, there's uh, things going on that we, that are physical, but we can't see or hear them, you know, levels of light and sound and things. So could there be levels within the spiritual world that maybe we don't even uh, perceive as earth beings, but there's something there on other planets. So um, I think it, if you can think expansively, um, it can still hold <laughs> that, that there is physical life going on in, in conditions and on planets um, or did or is or whatever um, that is still in the physical level, but doesn't, uh, and that is required before moving on to the spiritual. Nice, yes, it's, it's very sort of self-centered of us to think that life has to look like our life looks like, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you so much, we're out of time. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just wanna, Reiterate that we raised a total of $185 from six donors, including one new donor today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, our next show will be on February 1st. The title of our Swedenborg and Life episode will be 
the earliest source of ancient wisdom and how it was lost. So let's just have a round of goodbyes here, uh, Chelsea. Bye, everybody. I put my Swedenborg birthday hat back on <laughs> to say goodbye. Um, this was super great. I love, uh, I'm learning along with everybody. And it's so interesting to think about these ideas and uh, share, share in the journey of life with everybody. So thanks so much. <laughs> and I still don't have anything around me, but <laughs> this was great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm grateful Swedenborg was born and that the Lord would use him to give us all these fascinating uh, things to think about and talk about. And thanks so much for being here, everybody. This is great fun. Uh, absolutely. And Chris, we know you're celebrating on the inside. It's all about the spiritual thing, right? <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.